Welcome to the Best Interest Podcast, hosted by Jesse Kramer, where we discuss today's best ideas in personal finance and investing. The Best Interest is a personal podcast meant for entertainment purposes only. It should not be taken as financial advice and is not prescriptive of your financial situation. Here's your host, Jesse Kramer. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to episode 17 of the Best Interest Podcast. This is Jesse Kramer speaking. On today's episode, we are going to be talking all about inflation, a cool topic that's on lots of people's minds right now, and we will explain why. We'll also talk about what you can do to protect yourself against inflation if you're worried about it. But before we get into today's topic, I'm mixing things up a little bit today. Usually I save this for the end of the episode. Today we're going to try it at the beginning Basically, guys, feel free to reach out to me. That's the message. You can email me, jesse at bestinterest.blog, or follow me on Twitter, where my username is bestinterest underscore jc. I love hearing back from you. I love taking your questions. Feel free to ask away. And then I have a favor to ask of you guys. And that favor, though, it's contingent upon you actually enjoying this content. If you really do enjoy it, first off, thank you. I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad you enjoy it. And I'm hoping you wouldn't mind leaving a rating on the podcast on Apple Podcasts, and then leave a review of the podcast on Apple Podcasts. And if you really like it, subscribe to the weekly newsletter at bestinterest.blog, and you'll get weekly articles, weekly podcast episodes, and whatever cool content is out there sent to your inbox every week so you'll never miss another episode or article. That's the favor. If you really do enjoy this, just leave a a rating, a review, and then subscribe. Thanks, guys. Without further ado, let's start talking about inflation. Concerns over inflation continue to be a hot issue in the economic recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic. But what exactly is inflation? And should you be worried about it? This episode is going to break down inflation in simple terms and explain how concerned you should be. So what's the basic definition? In economic terms... Inflation is the decrease in purchasing power, or value, of money. It's generally measured as an increase in the price of goods or services. So let's go through an example of that. If a loaf of bread cost $3 one year ago, and then cost $6 today, we can surmise that one of two things probably happened in the past year. The first is that an event occurred that specifically affected bread. Maybe that's higher demand for bread, or it could be a lower supply of the ingredients for bread. Either way, it's a local problem to bread. But the second possibility is that there's an economy-wide event. Something occurred that decreased the purchasing power of money. So a dollar today simply isn't as valuable as it once was, and therefore it takes more of those dollars to buy one loaf of bread. Looking at bread alone, though, it's difficult to determine which of those two explanations is true. An important detail regarding inflation is that it affects the entire economic system, not just one product. We're all familiar, for example, with how gas prices, they can fluctuate on a daily basis. Those changes are not inflation. Those are short-term changes, typically based on the supply and demand of gasoline. So this brings us to our next question. How exactly do we measure inflation? Well, since inflation affects the entire economy, we need to collect data across the entire economy. 
in order to find and measure inflation. And what kind of data exactly? Well, let's just think about it. What are the things that you spend money on? Let's start with uh, taking a look at your budget. There's housing, there's transportation, food is obviously a big category too. We also spend money on medicine, recreation, professional services. We each spend money on many different items. That's the point. And we need to look at the pricing data of all those items to truly understand the effect of inflation. The U.S. government, for example, and many other national governments, they agree with this idea. They measure something called the Consumer Price Index, or CPI. The U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, which is the BLS, Bureau of Labor Statistics, they measure the price of a, they call it a basket of goods, on a monthly frequency. This basket of goods contains over 80,000 items and services that come from eight major categories in our economy. Those categories are housing, food and beverage, medical care, recreation, apparel, transportation, education and communication, and the eighth uh, basket is other goods and services, kind of a catch-all. So the the BLS, they calculate the CPI by taking a weighted average of those 80,000 items coming from those eight major categories. And then inflation is measured by calculating the change in CPI between time periods. So a good example, let's look at right now. We just got the inflation data for May of 2021, and the reports are that it was 5% inflation. What does that mean exactly? What it means is that the the CPI data for May 2021 is 5% higher than the CPI data from May 2020. The one-year difference in CPI was 5%, and that's why they're saying there was 5% inflation. So let's go to a next question. What are the historical inflation rates? You know, how does 5% compare? So the BLS, they've been measuring CPI data every single year since 1913. So we have accurate inflation data all the way back to over a century ago. The historical average inflation in the United States has been 3.2% per year, quite a bit lower than the 5% we're seeing right now. Now, granted, there have been many individual years with significantly different inflation rates than 3.2%. A good example is there was a famous bout of high inflation in the 1970s and the early 1980s that saw many years of inflation over 10%. And on the other side of the coin, there have been periods of negative inflation, which is called deflation. And we'll discuss the problems of high inflation and deflation later on. Now, more recently, inflation has actually been lower than the historical average of 3.2%. If we look at the CPI data from the 1990s, the 2000s, and the 2010s, we see that the average inflation rate has actually been about 2.4%. So that's why many financial professionals, they plan for the future using an expected annual inflation rate between 2.5 and 3%. It's a balance between the entire historical data set and then the recent historical data set. But we're still missing a key piece to answering this question of what is inflation. And that piece is, what causes inflation? Many economists agree 
that inflation is easy to identify in hindsight, but is difficult to predict beforehand. So keep that in mind when you see the news and when you see pundits predicting huge inflation for the fall. They might be right, but tons of experts agree it's really hard to predict that far out into the future. It's kind of like predicting the weather. It's easy to look backwards on a tornado and say, oh, well, the cold front came from Canada two days ago and you can see how it was coming down and warm air was coming up from the Gulf of Mexico and that's why that tornado happened. It's easy to do that after the fact, but it's hard to sit a month beforehand and say, oh, there's going to be a tornado near Kansas City next month. Nobody does that. And it's kind of similar with inflation. However, many of those experts will admit that almost all instances of inflation share one common trait. That trait is that inflation is caused by an increase in the money supply inside an economy. And that should make sense, especially if we examine it through the lens of supply, demand, and value. Supply and demand dictate that if the supply of a product goes up while the demand stays stagnant, then the value or price of that product will decrease. Too much supply, the price goes down. And when more money is added into an economy, the same principle of supply and demand applies. The supply of money increases, but the economy is still only producing the same stuff as before. The demand for that stuff hasn't really changed. There's more money spread across the same amount of stuff, and thus the price for that stuff increases, and that's exactly what inflation is. But the precise mechanisms of inflation can be confusing, and there's a frequent debate about how it really works. So let's discuss three popular mechanisms for explaining inflation. The first is called demand-pull inflation. Demand-pull inflation occurs when the rise in demand for goods and services is greater than the rise in the supply of those goods and services. Basic economics dictates that when demand outpaces supply, that the price increases. And those increasing prices, well, that's inflation. So let's look at a present-day example of this demand-pull inflation. As America reopens after COVID-19, we are seeing two major contributors to increasing demand. First, there have been multiple waves of monetary stimulus that have put extra money into consumers' hands. And those consumers, naturally, they want to spend that money on stuff. And that spending, that is demand. But second, there's this behavioral aspect at play right now. We've been living limited lifestyles for over a year, and now we want to break free. So the demand for certain goods and services is rapidly rising. We see it at restaurants, we see it in travel, and we're seeing those prices rise too. Let's talk about the second cause of inflation, or the second explanation of inflation. It's called cost-push inflation. So while the demand-pull hypothesis, it starts with the consumer and the consumer's demand, and then it pulls the producer's prices higher, this cost-push hypothesis it says that increasing costs of production force the producers to increase their prices regardless of the consumer's demand. So an example of this that we've seen recently, it's in the commodity shortages that have been occurring. Lumber is a perfect example. If you weren't aware, the, the cost of building a new house has risen dramatically due to a shortage in lumber. Lumber prices, if you go to Home Depot or Lowe's right now, are going to be drastically higher than you remember them from the past. So those rising costs of building a new home in this example, those costs are passed on to home buyers, and the rising prices of homes will affect the CPI, 
and that's how we measure inflation. And finally, there's a third explanation, which is called built-in inflation. So demand pull and cost push, they have tangible explanations, kind of based in the real world, based on real supply and demand. But built-in inflation is really more about expectations than it is about reality. Some economists, they believe that people now expect inflation, regardless of any changes to supply or demand. And because these expectations, workers want higher wages, for example, each year. Businesses, they expect higher costs each year. Those same businesses, they set their higher prices each year. And that's okay with the consumer because the consumers, they expect those higher prices each year. So this theory posits that everyone is really on the same page. We all expect inflation. It never really surprises us. So even if there's no true supply or demand change or issue, inflation will invariably work its way into the economy. It's about expectations more than reality. That's the built-in thesis of inflation. Next question, why is inflation bad? Why is inflation viewed in a negative light? Well, for starters, inflation reduces the average person's spending power. Let's say you have $12,000 in the bank. Phenomenal. If your family spends $4,000 per month, that means you have enough money to cover three full months of living expenses, and that's a healthy emergency fund. Now let's fast forward 10 years. Our $12,000, it grows by about 0.5% per year, and that's based on current interest rates in high-yield savings accounts. So it grows to $12,600. But our spending also increases by the rate of inflation, which we'll say for now is the previously mentioned 2.4% per year. That's what it has been traditionally over the last 30 years. So our $4,000 monthly bill, it increases to $5,000 per month. Our emergency fund is $12,600, and it only covers two and a half months of $5,000 worth of living expenses. We did nothing wrong. We didn't lose money. We didn't spend the money. In fact, the interest from our savings account actually gave us some money, and yet we lost ground to inflation. Whereas previously, we had three months of money to live off of, now we only have two and a half months of money to live off of. The value of our money has decreased. And that's why many people despise inflation. But inflation isn't always a bad thing. For starters, let's look at the opposite of inflation, which is called deflation. Deflation is associated with a shrinking economy. It's associated with recessions or with all-out economic depressions. In those hard times, people generally have less money to spend. They buy less, they demand less, and thus prices drop. Producers are hurt since their cash flow decreases. Deflation is an all-around sign of economic pain. Inflation, on the other hand, is a sign of growth. Money is plentiful, so much so that demand is rising and wages are increasing. While inflation hurts the idle money in your bank, inflation is still a sign of positivity in the larger economy. So let's look at some examples of recent inflation and potential future inflation. Inflation has affected CPI, consumer prices, in recent years. And remember, inflation describes the overall increase in price across those 80,000 tracked items and expenses. But by looking at some individual items, 
we can get a better understanding of how inflation affects our daily lives. Let's start with coffee, the old cup of joe, scalding hot, bitter bean water. In 1980, one pound of ground coffee cost $3.14 per pound. Today, the same pound of coffee costs $4.43 per pound. That means that coffee prices, they've inflated by an annual average of 0.86% per year, which is much less than the average inflation during this time period. This suggests that the coffee industry as a whole has gotten more competitive and more efficient, and that benefits the consumer. Next, let's look at cars, the quintessential American purchase, that first car. We should probably start telling people about how expensive driving is and that their cars are money pits, but I digress. <laughs> the average car in 1980 cost about $7,000. According to the Kelly Blue Book, the average new car in 2020 cost about $38,000. Now granted, those two cars are vastly different. Whereas coffee beans really haven't changed too much in the last 40 years, car technology has rapidly advanced. Nevertheless, let's see how much car costs have increased. It takes a 443% total increase to get a price to jump from $7,000 to $38,000, which over 40 years is equivalent to a 4.3% increase per year. So cars have increased in price more than the typical consumer item. But then again, we are getting a better product thanks to advances in car technology. So it's hard to say whether the price of cars has truly inflated more than the average uh, rate of inflation, or if some of that is due to the fact that we are buying a better product. Last, let's look at gasoline. It is everyone's favorite consumer good to be concerned about, whether rightly or wrongly. So gas prices, they are constantly fluctuating due to varying levels of supply from the oil industry and demand from many different places, including consumer travel. And while daily fluctuations are likely not caused by monetary inflation, long-term trends can expose prior inflation. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look at 1980, where one gallon of gas cost about $1.20. And now as of this recording, that same gallon of gas costs about $3.05. The price, therefore, has inflated by 2.36% per year for the past 40 years. And that's almost exactly the same as the larger economic inflation rate over that time. So gas really hasn't gotten that much more expensive compared to the way that everything else in the economy has gotten more expensive. Finally, let's look at how inflation might affect us in the future. So people are worried right now, and rightly so. In April, uh, April of 2021 that is, the CPI was 4.2% higher than April 2020. And as mentioned, in May, the CPI was 5% higher than in May of 2020. Those are larger than expected increases. And many people are worried that the increasing trend will continue. Of course, people are pointing to the COVID-19 recovery and the monetary stimuli as the proximate cause. So what if we had a decade of 4 or 5% inflation? Where would we be in 10 years? And before I answer that question, I should point out that many experts right now believe that the current inflation is quote-unquote transitory. And what that means is that we're seeing higher inflation rates right now, but once things really start to settle out from COVID, they think we'll go back to normal inflation rates. 
And I want to compare this to, say, tossing a rock into a pond. When you initially do it, you're going to see big waves, especially around that point of impact. But over time, and the further you get from that point of impact, you're going to see small ripples, and eventually everything's going to calm down. So experts, they think that inflation right now is likely going to work the same way. It's going to calm down. But if it doesn't, and we have a decade of 4 or 5% inflation, where would we be? Well, for starters, the CPI would be about 50 to 60% higher than it is right now. So if every product was affected evenly, which we know isn't true, we know that every product isn't affected evenly, but it's a useful mental model for us to walk through this exercise, what we'd see is that today's $5 Starbucks coffee would be close to $8. Today's $50 gas fill-up, well, that will cost close to $80. Today's $1,500 monthly rent, it'll cost more than $2,300. A $200 grocery bill today will cost over $300. And the same person who might spend $4,000 per month on their living expenses, they'd need to spend over $6,000 for the same lifestyle. And if your money is just sitting in the bank, it will be losing its buying power. But we aren't necessarily helpless, and there is a way to protect against inflation. First and foremost, the first idea is to keep minimal money in cash. It's the best way to protect oneself against inflation. Most experts recommend you keep cash as an emergency fund, and that is vitally important. You should keep three to six months of living expenses in cash safely in your bank account. But there's not usually much reason to keep more than that. Sure, everybody's different, but for most people, a good rule of thumb is going to be keep your emergency fund in cash and then basically nothing else. So if it's not in cash, what are we doing with it? Well, one idea, you can invest in stocks. Investing in stocks is a good hedge against inflation. Why? Well, because businesses, they're rarely punished by inflation. Sometimes they are, but not often. It's true that inflation can push their costs higher, but it also pushes their prices higher, right? They will react by increasing their prices. That pushes their revenues higher. Thus, the overall effect on the company is typically neutral. The overall effect on the stock is typically neutral. The company is going to grow, regardless of inflation or not, so investing in stocks is typically a good hedge against inflation. The next tip is that you can invest in TIPS, T-I-P-S. That's an acronym standing for Treasury Inflation Protected Securities. TIPS are a type of treasury bond that is intentionally indexed against the CPI. So let's walk through an easy example. If you bought $1,000 worth of TIPS today, and then we suffered 50% inflation over the next decade, then the principal of your tips would increase to 1500 right? 1500 is 50% higher than 1000 completely negating the effect of the inflation. And on top of that increasing principal, you'd also receive interest payments or coupons on your bond. The coupons aren't going to be very high, whereas stocks might return 7% per year inflation-adjusted, tips are going to be much lower than that. They won't make you rich, but they're designed to protect against inflation. And that's really what we're talking about here. Last, we can talk about gold and Bitcoin. I think they're interesting. Many investors, they point to gold as the classic hedge against inflation. The logic there is it's easy to print more money, but it's way harder to create more gold. 
Gold is a, a steadfast store of value, even as the volume of money swells up around it. But one problem with gold is that it produces zero cash flow. No cash flow. Unlike stocks, which produce dividends, and tips, which produce coupons, a lump of gold just sits there, producing nothing. Now, nevertheless, gold provides diversification in an inflation-hedged portfolio. So there might be a place for gold for you. Bitcoin. Now, Bitcoin is still young, relatively untested, but many people believe it has a role to play similar to gold. Part of the Bitcoin software protocol is that there can only be a finite number of Bitcoin ever produced. That number's around 21 million Bitcoin. And that finite cap, in theory at least, it gives Bitcoin a defined value that is impervious to inflation. So that's why Bitcoin enthusiasts, they laud its inflation protection. So some final thoughts. Inflation, it is an intrinsic part of our economic system. And that's both good and bad. Yes, it can steal our dollar's value, but it's also a sign of widespread economic growth. And that benefits us all. So when concerns arise, we can usually protect ourselves from inflation's grasp using the tested methods we talked about today. All right, guys, that is episode 17 of the Best Interest Podcast, all about inflation. If you want to reach me, you can email me, jesse at bestinterest.blog, or find me on Twitter, where my username is bestinterest underscore jc. A little reminder, if you really love this content, and only if you really, really do, please leave a rating, a review, and subscribe. We can continue to invest in one another because, as Ben Franklin said, an investment in knowledge pays the best interest. Sharing with others is investing in their knowledge. So thank you all. Thank you for listening to episode 17 of the Best Interest Podcast.